Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This is episode number 28. But for the sake of my lovely wife and co-host, we're all going to pretend like this is episode 27. I'm saying it's 27. Well, I'm naming the script 27. Yeah, the entire script is just 27. Has nothing to do with the number, but... You can find us on social media if you go and to any platform and look for the user at Scary Savannah. We want to mention our giveaway. Every month, we give away a free piece of merchandise, either a coffee mug or a shirt. And there's two different designs on the coffee mugs and the shirts in your choice of size and color. If you go to our website and look for the giveaway tab, all you have to do is go there, click on that, follow the easy instructions, and you're entered into our merchandise giveaway, which we announce on the first episode of the month, right? It's fun. It is. I want, can I enter? Sure can. <laughs> Might be a little conspicuous when we pull your name on air and be like, ah, it's Crystal. I'm going to enter as Coffee Bean. Coffee Bean. Nobody will know who she is. <laughs> and one other thing we want to mention to you is that if you haven't seen us on Patreon, you need to go check it out because we have exclusive episodes for Patreons on there. They are pretty freaky, right? Yeah, it's about cryptids and I'm still trying to figure out what it is, but it's pretty scary. Yes, the, in a not scary at all kind of way. The mermaid that's not the mermaid you would want it to be. Yeah, that was freaky. Yeah. So go and check us out at patreon.com forward slash scary savannah for as little as $3 a month. You'll get extra content every week, right? Yeah, because someone thinks we need more work. It's always fun to do more work, right, baby? I mean, it's not like you have enough to do. I know. I needed one more thing. Yeah. So, Crystal, how have you been this week? It's been a good week. We just celebrated Mother's Day two days ago. Yeah. All the kids came over, got some cool gifts. Like you did. These earrings that I'm wearing that you can't see because of these headphones. And the baseball jersey that you're not wearing so that you can't see. Yeah. I Are just, you ashamed of your baseball jersey? I wore jersey? it on Mother's Day. You did. And we also got to go thrift shopping this week, which is your new obsession. You want to flip furniture because you've been watching Flea Market Flip. I can't focus on anything but one thing at a time. And now, right it's, now it's working on furniture. Which you've never done. Never done. Have no skills. Don't have any clue how we're going to do it. But I figured you would probably figure it out. So we did find a really cool coffee table. And it's by a manufacturer. And uh, I think it's Thomasville. Thomasville. And it was made in 1965. It is a great Older year. Than both of us. It's almost close to the age of one of those movies we're going to be talking it's about older. today, isn't it? Just a little bit, right? At least the setting of the movie mm -hmm. was that year. So we've been on a horror movie kick for a while now. And one thing that seems to go hand in hand with horror movies is curses. So we thought that we had discussed some of those rumored to be affected by curses and see what you think. Now, some of these are definitely ones you've heard of, but I found a few that even I've never heard of. But we're going to start with one that is probably familiar to everyone. That's Poltergeist. The first installment of the three-movie franchise was released in 1982. It was produced by Steven Spielberg and Larry Marshall. It's the story of a typical suburban family, the Freelings, who move into a home that already seems to be the home to a host of malevolent ghosts. The movie stars Joe Beth Williams and Craig T. Nelson as the parents. Craig T. Nelson? Wasn't he in that Coach TV show? Yeah. I can't imagine and him in a horror on, movie. Um, I've never seen Young Poltergeist. Yeah. Oh, he's he's yeah. the coach. Yeah. Well, he's the coach in the coach, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it's come full circle. It has. There are three children. Dana, age 16, played by Dominique Dunn. Robbie, age 8, played by Oliver Robbins. And Carol Ann, age 5, played by Heather O'Rourke. The spirits in the house begin to communicate with the youngest daughter, Carol Ann, through the television, of all things. Well, you know nothing good comes out of television. <laughs> no. It's probably just a moral lesson as what this whole movie's about. These spirits seem to be attracted to Carol Ann's life force. This is according to the psychic medium they hired, that was hired by the family. Her name is Tangina. She's played by Zelda Rubenstein. You, you probably know who she is, the... She's like the four foot three little actress with a oh, great voice. Her real name was Zelda Rubenstein. Yeah. I just thought she played a warlock in the movie. It turns <laughs> out she probably was a real one. <laughs> yeah, she's in that. She was in something else we watched recently. Something about her is just, I think she she's could perfect be perfect for scary movies. In any scary movie mm -hmm. that you could pick out. Doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Friday the 13th, she might have been in it. I haven't <laughs> seen that movie either. 
but she could just be the little old lady sitting in the back of the car and she'd be like, now, Hoodie's gonna get you. Yeah, she's great. Actually, that was pretty close. That was pretty close. There's a creepy clown toy scene in this movie that scared me to death as a little kid. And I remember Sean, our neighbor, he was scared of this too. Big, burly dude. Yeah. Super muscular, extremely macho and Dutch manly. Dusty beard and everything. And he, he was scared, scared of clowns. He's still scared of him because of that. But we'll talk about the clown later. Anyway, there's a portal in this house that Carol Ann ends up getting absorbed into. As you do. Mm-hmm. The family has to save her by going through the portal conveniently located in the children's closet. The mom and Carol Ann end up in the backyard for some reason with skeletons in the rain. It's a whole thing. But eventually they do escape to a hotel where the dad throws the TV out the door. Okay, so I've never seen this movie, but I do remember when I was a kid that this scene where they're in a pool or something and there are skeletons. And I remember looking at it and thinking, and I was a very delicate young man. I, I couldn't handle the scary movies at the time. And that freaked me out. I don't think the clowns would have scared me, but that was terrifying. Well, it gets more terrifying when you find out something about them in a minute. Oh, I can't wait. In the second movie, it's supposed to be one year later, even though it actually is four years later. Did they change the kids? No. Like in National Lampoons? Were they a different kid every time? No. Different ages? Well, and- the uh, little girl's the same. I'm not sure about the other two. For other reasons, you'll find out later. Okay. It seems the spirits are not done with Carol Ann. Tangina, the medium from the first movie, enlists the help of a Native American shaman named Taylor to go protect Carol Ann from the spirit of an insane preacher who is deceased named Reverend Henry Kane. This character freaked me out as a kid, and it still does today every time I see it. That's another scene, I think, where he comes to the door and they open it up and he basically actually looks like death. He does. If you thought death was a person, you'd be like, yep, that's him. Yeah. The freakiest part of this movie for me, other than Reverend Kane, is the scene where the dad, Craig T. Nelson, is drinking tequila from a bottle. And it has one of those worms in it. I think they call it a mezcal worm. Yeah, I think that's the only kind of tequila that actually has a worm in it. Yeah, well, he swallows the worm and it's possessed by the spirit of Reverend Henry Kane. It's a whole thing. It was It was. Really How did it get a spirit in a worm? I don't remember, but it was. Did good. it make sense at the time? Probably. Mm. As much as one of these can. You were young when this movie came out. I didn't watch it then. I watched it later on. I thought your mom let you watch horror movies. Well, she did, but I don't remember it that well from being six years old. Until you saw that scene from Tales from the Crypt and you probably decided (laughs) not to watch horror shows with your mom anymore. I'm done with this. Poltergeist 3 was released in 1988. Carol Ann has been sent to Chicago to stay with her aunt and uncle to protect her from the spirits. However, the good Reverend Kane has followed her and uses the apartment building's numerous mirrors to try to get to her. Tangina follows Carol Ann to Chicago and attempts to save her. Is he still a worm at this point? No, he's like back in spirit form somehow in the mirrors. Okay. But you so gotta he's not watch like a worm it in the mirror. Find out if, uh, if he gets her or not. Okay. So what causes these movies to be cursed? Good question. For starters, in the first movie, it was claimed that they used real skeletons from a medical school in a scene that you were talking about earlier in the backyard. That was real skeletons? They were real and um, I watched a thing and they confirmed it. The actress, Jo Beth Williams, that played the mom, thought they looked really real. She expected them to be like. Did they tell her when they threw her in the pool that those were real skeletons? Maybe that's how they got the real reaction out as of her. As they were throwing her in the yeah, pool. They were yeah. throwing, oh, by the way, these are real skeletons. <laughs> Catch. <laughs> we got to return those. Don't break it. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> They're very valuable. The first evidence of the curse happened to the young actor, Oliver Robbins, who played the middle child, Robbie. Remember that creepy clown I was talking about? I do. Well, in the middle of the night, this toy comes to life and wraps its arms around the boy's neck. Due to a mechanism malfunction, the arm began wrapping tighter and tighter and nearly strangled Oliver to death. Oh, no. I didn't hate clowns enough already. He was like expecting, you know, he's an actor. He's like, it was just supposed to barely wrap around his neck. And he's a kid. And he's like eight years old. Oh, no. And it's like. You remember seeing the clown, right? I saw that scene. Well, I, you know, on movies you hadn't seen, they have all these scenes, like the exorcist scene that I've seen, mm-hmm. but not seen the movie. So, yes, I do remember we'll seeing the clown. put a picture of that clown on the screen for the viewers. because it's Here it comes. Yeah, it's, it's scary. It's probably not as scary as I remember it. I doubt it, but most things aren't from our childhood. I'm pretty sure that that is the clown that's on display at the Zach Bagans Haunted Museum that we saw in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Remember? And if you have a clown phobia... And you go to the Zach Bagans yeah. Haunted Museum. They, it's not a jump scare, 
but you come around a corner in a one-way hallway yeah. and it's right there in front of yeah, you. I wasn't expecting to in see In a the shadow car. box. Yeah, I didn't like it. Still don't like it. Sean, I would have loved to see Sean's reaction to that. He's yeah. our big burly friend we spoke about earlier. <laughs> so being strangled is bad, but I don't think it's bad enough to amount to a curse. Not really. So shortly after the release of the first film, the actress who played the oldest daughter was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. Dominique Dunn was an up-and-coming star. She was the daughter of actor, producer, and writer Dominic Dunn. That name sounds familiar for some reason. You've seen him. He's got the glasses. I know old Dominic. You know, he's like the true crime author. He's got the glasses. He used to be on TV, like a TV show. You had me at glasses. Mm -hmm. You, You would know him if you saw him. Probably. Hey, look. After breaking up with this abusive boyfriend, he showed up at her door, dragged her out into the yard, and strangled her. So, more strangling. Oh, no. So That's an ongoing theme here. Yeah. Five days later, she died. So, it's sounding a little more like a curse. It could still maybe be coincidence. Next, the actor who played the creepy Reverend Henry Kane died before the release of the second film in 1985 from stomach cancer. Cursed? Maybe. Maybe. Then, in 1987, the actor Will Sampson, who played the shaman Taylor, died from kidney failure and malnutrition during a heart and lung replacement surgery. He was only 57. Malnutrition? Yeah, that seems like weird. Was it because of like, the operation? Yeah, I guess he couldn't keep food down or they couldn't hydrate him. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, but he was only 57, so this is bad. I'm still not sure it's a curse. <laughs> what more do you need? Well, I need this. Finally, what seals the deal for the believers in this curse is the death of 12-year-old Heather O'Rourke, who played the iconic Carol Ann. During filming of the third Poltergeist movie, she died suddenly from an undiagnosed intestinal blockage. Heather died four months before the release of the third and final movie, forcing the ending to be changed and filmed without her. The movie was not a success as the studio did not want to exploit the death of the young actress. So, what do you think about? Is it a curse or a coincidence? I think if you've got so many things happening here to people, murders, random deaths on the operating table, and intestinal blockage, I'm not sure that I really want to know what that even is. Well, they diagnosed her with Crohn's disease, but that's not what she had. So she had a blockage and she couldn't keep any food down or whatever. And the surgery could have probably um, helped her, but they misdiagnosed it. Oh, no. So they were treating her for Crohn's disease. They're treating her for the wrong thing. Right. They didn't realize like that she had a blockage until it was too late. Yeah. So. Well, that's that's awful that a 12-year-old died. Yeah. She was very talented, too. Like, she'd been a model and actress since she was, like, two years old. So, I have to ask this question. What happened to the warlock lady? She lived to be an old lady. I think she died of some sort of cancer. I can't remember, but she she lived a long time. Can it be ruled out that she was the cause of the curses? Not necessarily, but I think she was really nice in real life, so I don't think she would curse people. That's how she would act <laughs> That's in how she real wants life. You to think. Ain't you ever seen a witch in real life before? I know you have. I have, actually. <laughs> this next movie is probably one of the most famous movies in the world. I think most people have seen it, and it's not a horror movie. It's the 1939 movie, The Wizard of Oz. I've read that this is actually the most watched movie in the whole world. It really is? That's what? Well, it's been out forever. Yeah, in 1939, so. We'll yeah. live to see it be 100 years old. Yeah. Well, I mean, you might. <laughs> you will. I live dangerously. We've already talked about my furniture escapades. Yeah, well, stay tuned. Filming this movie was said to be grueling as well as dangerous, especially for the young star Judy Garland, who played Dorothy. Dorothy. She was only fed one meal a day, purportedly chicken broth. The only other thing she was allowed to consume were black coffee and cigarettes to suppress her appetite. <laughs> I like the way you said that. Consume. Yeah. You get coffee and cigarettes. This is your lunch. Yeah, they considered it like food. Oh, goodness. She was also given amphetamines to control her weight. They thought she was overweight when she really wasn't. Uh, she didn't look overweight at all. Well, well she didn't eat. Yeah. Yeah. They also gave her drugs to help her sleep and drugs to wake her up. They would only let her sleep like two or three hours at a time and then try to keep her awake for like 72 hours. Was that because they thought that had something to do with her weight or were they just no, sadistic? No, that was for filming purposes, the that grueling was, schedule. It was that grueling to film that? Apparently. I guess it was probably state of the art at the it time. It was. But this led to a lifelong drug addiction, eventually resulting in her death of a drug overdose at the age of 47. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. 
Another actor who suffered during filming was Buddy Ebsen from the Beverly Hillbillies. I know this story just because we both know I'm a big fan of The Wizard of Oz. There's Mm -hmm. actually pictures of him in the makeup Mm -hmm. of what you're about to say. He was originally cast to play the Tin Man. Here's a picture. But the makeup they used was actually aluminum dust and is essentially poison. After only nine days of filming, he was hospitalized. The aluminum dust had coated his lungs. Oh, man. He didn't recover fast enough, so he was replaced with actor Jack Haley. Buddy suffered from breathing problems for the rest of his life. So they just chucked him out. Well, you can't get better. Here's 10-2. So they ended up changing the way they applied the makeup. They added water or something. So So it didn't flake out and... So the actor, Jack Haley, that took over, he only got an eye infection, so he fared much better. Uh, Well, this test subject survived. Yeah. Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West, was severely burned during a scene. In the shot where she disappears in flames, the pyrotechnics team accidentally set the fire off a little too soon, and her broom and costume caught fire. The crew had to rush to remove her copper makeup, which is toxic. You know, that green makeup? I didn't know copper was toxic. Yes. So they did learn something every day. (laughs) They didn't want it to seep into her wounds because she had second and third degree burns all over. Because they didn't want her to, you know, have to go to the hospital or anything because they got a schedule to meet. (laughs) They had to remove the makeup with alcohol. So imagine alcohol on burns while you're just been burned. So, wow. I wonder how far along in the filming they were when this happened. It wasn't very far, but. They were able, she was able to recover in time to finish filming or they would have just replaced her. (laughs) They would have just chucked her to the side. Here, you join Buddy over here and we're going to go get starlet number two. (laughs) I guess she wasn't a starlet though, was she? not quite. She had lifelong scars from this ordeal. Sounds like safety was an issue on the set of this movie and even little Toto wasn't spared. Oh, don't tell me they did something to the poor little dog, Crystal. It's not that bad. Okay. One of the witch's foot soldiers accidentally trampled the dog and sprained its leg. Some say it broke it, but he did recover, or she. And Toto was actually, surprisingly, paid very well for a dog. He, or she, I don't know if it was a girl, received $125 a week during this time, which is during the Great Depression. That's nearly $2,000 a week in today's money. So they paid hush money to the dog. Yes. It was way worse than a broke leg, but that's (laughs) what the dog was told to say. That's all you can say. You heard it here first, folks. Another mishap occurred when one of the wires carrying a flying monkey snapped and resulted in injury. I bet he got replaced real fast, too. Give me another monkey. Injury. Oh, he's dead. (laughs) We've got another one. Don't worry. He's replaceable. The costume for the Cowardly Lion contained fur from actual lions and weighed 90 pounds, making it very difficult for the actor during filming, especially when conditions would reach over 100 degrees on set. I'll tell you right now from experience, and Crystal can tell you from this experience, just having lights of any type is extremely yes, hot. Yes, I can We imagine. have lights in our studio right now, and these are not extremely powerful lights, but they generate so much mm-hmm. heat. And you can't have the air conditioner on when you're recording a podcast because it'll make noise. Now, picture that times a million and you're wearing 90 pounds of fur. fur. And it was said that he would overheat and pass out. And can you imagine how it smelled every night? They had to clean it every night, like head to toe. Oh, my goodness. I bet. I can't believe that people around him weren't rich. Oh, they were. It said people got sick. Physically. Physically sick because of, of the, the smell. cowardly lion. Yeah, you smell. That sounds sort of ironic. I know. <laughs> it's ironic that I don't know what irony means. I know. You like to make fun of people who misuse irony. It's ironic, isn't it? Well, this is not. The actress who played Aunt M actually committed suicide in 1962 by taking an overdose of sleeping pills and placing a plastic bag over her head. Guess she wanted to make sure it worked. My goodness. I can. I don't understand... Stuff like that. But I really can't understand some of these extremes people go to. That is just gruesome. Yeah. In the scene where they wake up in a poppy field, remember it's snowing? I do remember that. What do you think that snow is made out of? Um, potato chips. Asbestos. Oh, the most healthy of breathable <laughs> dust. Also, the witch's broom and the scarecrow's costume were made of asbestos. They just made everything out of asbestos. Dorothy, here's your asbestos dog. Toto's suing us, and now we need something to take up the, (laughs) you know, when when they're doing the scenes where he's not talking. Isn't that real? Yeah. 
So they actually knew about the dangers of asbestos at the time, but they chose to use it anyway. So I wonder if any of these people called about one of those 1-800, do you have mesothelioma? (laughs) If they're still alive, they probably are. Are you related to somebody that might have had it because of the Wizard of Oz? (laughs) So an urban legend you always hear is that a munchkin hanged himself during filming And you can see his body swinging in the background of the scene where they're skipping down the yellow brick road. I've seen that before. I don't know if I'm Everyone denies that this is true. And it's probably just a story that has taken on a life of its own. But the other stories are true. Now, you see where I used to just discount this. I used to just think, oh, that is a story. But Mm -hmm. based on what you've been telling me about how this filming went on the set, I totally believe that it probably was somebody that committed suicide and the entire crew probably saw it happen. They're like, well, we don't have enough film to do this scene again. (laughs) You just deal with it in post. And they're like, well, we don't have enough money to pay the people in post. So we'll just leave it. I didn't even tell you about how the director didn't like that. Judy Garland was giggling. And so he went over and just slapped her in the face in the middle of everything. You dumb broad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that's 16 crazy. Year old girl. She was 16. Mm-hmm. She looked older than 16, though, yeah, in this she movie. Was 16. She, she was supposed to be 12, but. She looked like sort of way Luke Perry looked like a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think it's a curse or just lack of safety protocols in early Hollywood? I think that it's probably just that they had no respect for the people. And they had a schedule to meet, and I'm sure money, time is money, mm-hmm. and they're more concerned about getting this done. And I also wonder about this particular movie, since it was probably the first of its kind, what did they envision as a return on this? So were they saying, we got to knock this thing out? Or they're like, this is going to be a blockbuster for 150 um, years? Actually, saw something about that, and it said that it did not make money for the first 10 years. Oh, no. But in 19... 19- 49, it uh, started making money. And like, of course, then it took off. Yeah. 10 years after everyone was dead from trauma and mesothelioma. Yeah. If The Wizard of Oz is said to be one of the best movies ever made, then this next movie is its opposite. Said to be one of the worst films ever made, it stars your favorite John Wayne. John Wayne, you say? The 1956 film The Conqueror Cast John Wayne as none other than Genghis Khan or, or Genghis, Genghis Khan, however you want to say it. What did he call it? I don't know. I didn't watch the movie. Well, we're going to watch it. We, not, you got to watch If it's the worst movie ever, we have to watch yeah, we it. Gotta watch it. I'm not sure what they were thinking, but they clearly weren't. <laughs> Produced by the eccentric Howard Hughes, the movie was a huge flop. Worse than that, it holds the distinction of being the only film responsible for killing nearly half its cast. Okay, so you could probably just stop at this film then, <laughs> because it sounds like this film's gone from being cursed to just being a straight-up serial killer. <laughs> it's, it's like her crossover. <laughs> <laughs> Someone decided it was a good idea to film outside St. George, Utah, where they had previously been testing nuclear weapons. Oh, that would be fine. It was probably like $20 less a day to film there. Yeah. The government assured the residents of St. George that they were perfectly safe. And we all know you can always trust what the government tells you. Yeah. They brought a Geiger counter out to the set one day, and it was making so much noise that John Wayne assumed it was malfunctioning. Let me guess how he assumed. He (laughs) took it. Well, it looks like this piece of trash ain't (laughs) going to work for this set. (laughs) And then I just assume he took a shot of whiskey, threw it in the air and shot it with a revolver. Did Genghis Khan have a revolver in this movie just because it was John Wayne? I don't know. We'll watch it and find out next week. Talk about cultural appropriation. I know. That's (laughs) what I was thinking. It's assumed that the dust from the nuclear testing made its way the 100 miles down to where they were filming. They even shipped some of this radioactive dust to the studio for reshoots. And this was a very bad idea. Well, then you have no idea how many people actually were affected by this movie then because there were delivery people. Right. There were clerks. There were people that are touching this package. Mm-hmm. And if it's dust, then it's airborne. Yeah. And that's like the worst possible thing. So fast forward to 1981 and 91 of the 220 cast and crew members have all developed some type of cancer. So this movie was the most prolific serial killer of all time. It was. Susan Hayward, who played Wayne's love interest in the movie, died from brain cancer in 1975. Pedro Armendariz, who played Jumanga killed himself in 1963 after a terminal cancer diagnosis. Agnes Moorhead, who later starred in Bewitched, 
died of lung cancer that began in her uterus in 1974. How does lung cancer begin in your uterus? It spreads. Oh. It spread through her body. Okay. John Wayne also died of cancer in 1979 after having a lung and four ribs removed. They found a malignant tumor while removing his gallbladder. This movie stole from us the greatest actor of our generation. It did. Actually, I guess it's not our generation, but a generation. A generation. <laughs> not only did the cast and crew develop cancer, but many family members who had visited the set while filming developed cancer, including John Wayne's two sons, who he had brought out to spend the summer with him. Wow, that's awful. At least 46 of the 91 with cancer died from the disease. I'm not sure if you can classify this as a curse. Maybe more lack of safety measures. What do you think? I think this movie was probably created by the children of the people that created The Wizard of Oz. They hired the same crew, <laughs> just got them out there, and they'd be like, what's our budget? And they'll be like, $75. you <laughs> like... Well, we can save a little money if we make all the costumes out of asbestos and we film it right over a nuclear testing site. <laughs> and he's like, I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. So up next is the 1955 movie Rebel Without a Cause starring the legendary James Dean. This movie was released one month following Dean's tragic death. Although James Dean is one of America's most recognizable faces, he only appeared in three movies. Two of them were released after his death. Besides being an actor, James Dean was a race car driver, and while he was on his way to a race, he was driving his new Porsche Spider named Little Bastard when he was struck head-on, breaking his neck and killing him at age 24. That is unfortunate. Yeah, he was driving around 90 miles per hour, and a car went to turn left in front of him and didn't see the low-profile car, and they essentially hit, hit head-on. What happened to the other car? He walked away with a scratch on with, his face. With a scratch, a scratch on, on his, his face. face. And the Porsche was demolished. Yeah, those sports cars are made out of paper clips. Mm-hmm. Paper clips and gasoline. The other driver did survive, and Dean's passenger also did. Just before the fatal trip, he had shown the car to Sir Alec Guinness, who we all know and love as Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. This is not the car you're looking for. <laughs> it was not. Guinness detected a sinister presence from the car and warned James Dean that if he drove that car, he would be dead within a week. And it turned out he was right. I imagine him saying it to him like this. James, if you drive that car, then you will surely be turned to dead <laughs> within the week. He just kind of laughed it off, he said. I imagine he probably didn't take it seriously because this is an old man who's probably scared of sports cars. Yeah. And he didn't even know he was talking to one of the greatest Jedi that of ever lived. Yeah. After the wreck, parts of the car were used in other cars, and each of them resulted in serious, sometimes fatal crashes. Maybe it was just a poorly built version of the vehicle. Maybe. <laughs> In 1960, what was left of the car reportedly disappeared. There's that word. That is a PR stunt because they were like taking it around the country on display and stuff and making money that way. But it eventually resurfaced. And what is left of it, which I believe you said is the axle. It is. It's now in the possession of Zach Bagans, and we saw it at his haunted museum in Las Vegas. We would show you a picture, but they didn't allow us yeah, to take cameras allow. into the museum. But they did have the full axle there, and mm-hmm. they claimed that that came. Yes, and it's very unreal. It had a serial number on it, mm-hmm. so that's how they proved that it did indeed come from that and he car. he paid a small fortune for it, too, if I recall. That man must have a lot of money, yeah, because does. we were walking right near that exhibit, and it was like the movie memorabilia place, mm-hmm. and he talked about having a Ghostbusters section, mm-hmm. and that he had bought one of the original traps mm-hmm. that they used for the ghosts. And he said, and the tour guide, th- these tour guides know him, and the, the tour guide was like, yeah, he spent like $250,000 for that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, it's just a piece of plywood painted together, right? So in the movie Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean's co-star in the film, Natalie Wood, drowned in 1981 under mysterious circumstances. She was married to actor Robert Wagner at the time, and the pair, along with their co-star Christopher Walken, were spending time on their yacht named Splendor. When Wagner and Natalie argued... Reportedly over her flirting with Walken. Who would flirt with Christopher Walken? He was, was pretty he cute ever... back then, yeah. Wasn't he always a weirdo, though? I don't know, but he was pretty cute. But then again, I'm a weirdo, and you're <laughs> flirting with me right now. <laughs> he says that she left, and he assumes she went back to Catalina Island, but her body was later found in the water. Isn't that what the killer always says? Oh, she, she left. I don't know where she went. 
Her death has never been solved, although the case was reopened in 2018 and Wagner was named a person of interest. It's been so long that I don't know if they'll ever figure out what happened to her. What does person of interest actually mean? Suspect. They are looking at you, but they don't really have anything. They don't have anything to charge you they with. can't charge him, especially, I mean, 1981. That's 40 years ago, 41 There's years no ago. There's no statute of limitations on murder. There though, is, is there? not, but they didn't have any real evidence then. So what do they have now? That's a good point. Several items from the Yacht Splendor are also on display at the Zach Bagans Haunted Museum, including the coffee table that was smashed during their argument. I remember that room. Yeah. And like we saw where there was actually activity in that room that they had called on video. Yeah, that cabinet just, it just collapsed. Fell over. Yeah. It's just, and there's no way to really explain it. No it, it didn't look like room. faulty hardware. It no, just, no. it looks like something literally just. Psh. So another actor from the film was Sal Minio, who played the role of Plato. He was stabbed to death in 1976 by a mugger. Nick Adams, who plays Chick, was found dead in his home in 1968. At first, his death was ruled an overdose, but no pills or drugs were found, and several of his prized possessions were missing. His death has never been solved. Fun fact about Nick Adams, he played Private Ben Whitledge in No Time for Sergeants, one of your top five movies. If you get somebody, be careful what you say. It might be the enemy. What enemy? I, I, I don't know, but be careful. It is one of the greatest movies. Now devastated. Of all time. Now, granted, he'd be dead now anyways. Whether or not this had happened. Yeah. But, but yes, this is devastating. Now, Ben. Now, Ben. <laughs> Maybe they's the helpers. <laughs> so after all that, do you think the movie was cursed or the car was cursed or are all these just coincidences? I was ready to write it all off. Okay. Until you told me about Ben. Ben. And now I think it's actually not cursed so much as it's a conspiracy. Oh, okay. So the people from... Wizard of Oz are following these people around now. Yeah, it's big Hollywood. Oh, it's big Hollywood now. <laughs> you know it's going to come to this. The next movie is probably one you've never heard of because it never actually got made. I think I have that one on Betamax. It's not a horror movie, but rather a comedy based on a novel. It's called A Tuck, and it's about an Alaskan immigrant who makes his way to New York City and quickly becomes corrupted. According to Wikipedia... It is essentially a fish-out-of-water comedy of a proud, mighty Inuit hunter trying to adapt to life in the big city with satirical elements on racism, materialism, and pop culture. Sounds like it would go over swimmingly today. Yeah, they, yeah it wouldn't work today. Although the script was written in the 1970s, it was never finished. Every time they would start to make any progress, the star would die. Beginning with Funny Man and Saturday Night Live alum, John Belushi. One of the Blues Brothers. Another movie we almost made I didn't it through. Like that. I just couldn't couldn't stomach it. It just wasn't for me. While in talks of taking the lead of the film in 1982, he was found dead from a drug overdose. The script was shelved for a while before being revived with a new leading man, Sam Kennison. Ah! Let me guess. They found his body slumped over a copy of the script. <laughs> no, he filmed for eight days, but was frustrated with the script. And he walked off the set and demanded rewrites. The studio even ended up bringing a lawsuit against him to try to force him to continue. And he actually like threatened that he would give a subpar performance. So they're trying uh. to sue him. And nothing ever got settled because he was killed by a drunk driver in 1992 at the age of 38. Oh, no. Not long after that, in 1994, the role was going to go to John Candy, but he died of a heart attack. I love John Candy. I did, too. After this, they decided Chris Farley would make a great attack. I see where this is going. But in 1997, he also died of a drug overdose. In a van down by the river. Just months later, they were considering Phil Hartman oh, for no. the role. But unfortunately, he was murdered by his wife in a murder-suicide in 1998. That was crazy. I remember that. Yeah. I still don't really understand what happened. She was on drugs. Oh, yeah, she was completely... Was, he, was there anything wrong with him, or was she just crazy? She was just on cocaine and crazy. Okay. So, I guess at this point, they decided, cursed or not, they were done trying to make this movie, and it has sat on the drawing room floor ever since. Okay, now, Crystal, think about what you've said up to this point. You've been talking about cursed movies, and I agree, this sounds like it could be a cursed movie, but all of these things happening could also be explained by conspiracy theories. 
involving Big Hollywood. Big Hollywood. Yes. Which started on the set of The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. If we both go missing, everyone know Big Hollywood. Try calling them Click. It doesn't work. We've tried it. Something next. We're going to talk about a movie that you've seen, but I haven't. It's the 1994 movie, The Crow, starring Brandon Lee. So why don't you tell us what it's about? Okay, so this movie is a movie that all the cool guys in high school went to go see if your parents let you. Which explains why I wasn't there. No, you weren't there, but I also did get to see an interview with a vampire that way I as well. I did get to see that too. Yeah, I, my dad took me to that oh with my, my gosh, friends. Oh my how awkward. It, well, it was sort of awkward in some of those sex scenes that they had in that movie. Yeah. But this movie's basically a superhero kind of movie where the guy's avenging the death of his bride-to-be. Mm-hmm. And he wears makeup that looks very similar to Sting from wrestling you know white and black Mm -hmm. makeup and fun fact uh, in high school on halloween one year i dressed up in that face paint and went to school i was the only person in the entire school (laughs) that did anything even remotely halloween related and i was mercilessly taunted oh really yeah but that wasn't just like that was like a normal daily experience for me though but that was a little bit more extreme at the time I'm, you must have not been going to school at the same time with me at the high school because you would have seen me. No, I guess that was before I got there. Yeah. It was good times. <laughs> was it 1994? Yeah. Yeah. Then I would have been there yet. Yeah. I was still in middle school. Well. Or junior high, as we called it back then. I wore the makeup. <laughs> I was the hero. Okay. I was not the hero that they wanted, but I was the hero that they needed. Okay. So before production began, the studio received a voicemail by an unknown caller that warned them not to make this movie or bad things would happen. Oh, no. And it seems they were right. On the first day of filming, two principal electricians were injured when they were driving a truck with a cherry picker attached. They backed up into a high voltage live wire that sent them to the hospital. They were treated for second and third degree burns and one lost his ears. Wow, that's that's pretty extreme. So, yeah, they're off to a bad start. Next, a hurricane came through and destroyed their back lot set. Yeah, because this was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, from our home state of North Carolina. Yeah, I knew that. An art department member had his hand impaled by a screwdriver. That just sounds like bad safety procedures. Yeah. At this point, Entertainment Weekly is already calling this movie set cursed. They read an article about it. And one of the production staff members on the crew responded saying, it's not like anyone's died. I imagine it come out like this. Well, it's not like anybody's died. Exactly. Yet. They Unfortunately, cut that part off. <laughs> those words were ill-timed because on March 30th, 1993, on the 47th day of filming, um, Brandon Lee's character is supposed to come through the door. And originally they were, he was supposed to be stabbed with a knife. Yeah. And they like even had the, the prosthetic thing built and everything. But they decided to change it. They didn't feel it was enough. So they decided that he would be shot. So they, you know, quickly, hastily got that all together. And when he came in the door, they shot him. And assuming, obviously, that it was a good acting dummy bullet. Yeah. And so he falls down. They're waiting for him to get back up, but he doesn't. And they start to panic when they realize he's actually been shot. He was taken to the hospital and pronounced dead. He was only 28 years old. And what happened was a dummy round was actually loaded into the gun. But the problem was that the previous round had been fired, leaving the primer in the gun. So, you know, the primer is the end part of the gun. So it's like a little circle metal piece. Mm-hmm. And when they fired, like a dummy bullet looked exactly like the regular bullet, only it had no gunpowder in it. It looks exactly the same from the outside unless you open it and you see there's no gunpowder. So the dummy bullet that was in the gun before had fired and left the primer in and they didn't take it out. And that's what so killed him. So then they put in another dummy bullet. Yeah. So it was the little primer is actually what. So it doesn't matter if it's a bullet, if it's coming it out with a, a projection rock, it can of be dirt, that explosion. It can be anything, yeah. any kind of obstruction, they said. And like they showed, like if you look down the barrel of the bullet, I mean, if you look down the barrel of the gun and you see black, you don't see light then there's something in there and they didn't check it properly. Mm. So it came out at 3,000 to 5,000 PSI, which is a tremendous force and is unfortunately lethal. Yeah, that that is a great shame. I remember when that Mm -hmm. happened. Initially, they wanted to end the filming and scrap the movie, 
But after speaking with his mother and his fiance, they said that he was proud of the work he had performed and that they wanted them to finish the film for him. So they ended up using his stunt double, who looked a lot like him, and they made a mask of Brandon's face and put it on him. And they said it was like very eerie, like to see him because he looked exactly like him. Yeah. So they they struggled finishing it, but they plus did. he's wearing makeup a lot in this movie, which yes, probably helped to hide. It did. I and don't know if the scenes required his natural face. Well, so they ended up having to do a lot of uh, shadow and like montage things, and like not like full on conversation. Like they'd have to use things they'd already yeah. recorded. I don't remember if this movie was good or not, honestly, because it's been so many years since I saw it. But they say know, it's te- pretty good. Teenage me really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, they said it's pretty good. So they were able to complete the movie and it was released and it did pretty well. Some people claim that the film itself was cursed, but others say it was the Lee family that was cursed. Brandon's father, Bruce Lee, the famous martial arts actor, died in 1973 at the age of 32. His official cause of death was a cerebral edema, which is swelling of the brain. It was attributed to an allergic reaction to a headache medicine that he had taken earlier. But he had grown up believing from a young age that all the men in his family were cursed. His parents had sometimes dressed him as a girl when he was little to protect him from the curse. They had lost their firstborn son and wouldn't refer to Bruce by a boy name because they believed it would confuse any spirits who may be out to steal his soul. So what do you think? Curse or coincidence? This movie sounds like it could be cursed, but it also circles back around to my original theory. Big Hollywood. Yeah, some people say that there were other forces out to get Bruce Lee for I've some reason, too. I've heard that Bruce Lee had mafia yeah. issues, yeah, and so. that could be related to it. I'm not saying it is, because I don't know anything yeah, about the mafia. Know. Don't know nothing <laughs> about the mafia. I'm just saying, the one thing I do know about the mafia is, you don't cross the mafia. Right. So now let's talk about a truly horrifying horror movie. I think if any movie is going to be cursed, it's going to be this one, The Exorcist. Based on William Blatty's best-selling novel, it's the story of a young girl named Reagan, played by Linda Blair, who was possessed by a demon named Pazuzu, and is supposedly based on a true story. I didn't know that this was based on a novel. Oh, yeah. And I also haven't seen this movie. I bought the first edition of this book at a thrift store before, and I sold it for like $160. We did used to do that. Mm -hmm. The first sign that things aren't going to go well when you're filming this movie is when your entire set catches on fire. Don't worry, everything's made of asbestos. It's fireproof. You guys are fine. Keep filming. Keep filming. The only room that was spared was Reagan's bedroom. While filming, Linda Blair's grandfather died, as did two of the actors who appeared in the movie. Safety on set still seemed to be an issue in 1973. Linda Blair was laced into a piece of equipment laying on the bed that Mm -hmm. men would pull in different directions to make her appear to convulse. They had her thrashing around so violently that they fractured her lower spine. Ooh. She was crying and screaming. And this is the take that appears in the film. You so she's literally suffering. Right. And they don't care. They said She says they didn't even take her to a doctor. Wow. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. William Friedkin, who directed the movie, was said to be a bit much on set, sometimes even firing a gun when he wasn't pleased with how things were going. Firing they just come gun. up beside you and... Fire a gun beside Fire your head. a gun. Mm-hmm. Just randomly. Yeah. You'd be like, like you can them, get away with that these like days. You're already trying to act with the set on fire around you. Yeah. And you got your broken spine. Yeah. <laughs> and you're being drugged around by a bunch of stagehands. And then he just walks up and he's like, well, it doesn't seem like you're hurting enough. <laughs> yeah. So in one scene, Reagan throws her mother across the, across the room. And they use a like rope, like she's attached to a rope and they pull her, but they pull her so violently that she's injured. I think she dislocated her shoulder and like that you can see the pain on her face in the take. Like they use that take and it's like you can tell she really was hurt. I've read that some directors and I don't know if this guy's one of them actually prefer to be this way Mm -hmm. because then they feel like they're getting they know they're hurting or scaring people. Yeah, they get an authentic response. Where in Die Hard, where the main villain dies. I've never seen it. Spoiler alert. You just told I me somebody died. I won't tell you who he is or how mm-hmm. it happens, but it happened in such a way that he didn't realize what was going to happen mm-hmm. and they didn't tell him. Mm-hmm. And I think they timed something different. Mm-hmm. And so the look of fear on this man's face is a real look of fear. Oh, okay. And the director is just sadistic. Yeah. Sounds like it. So there was a man named Paul Bateson 
He played the radiologist assistant. He actually was a radiologist assistant in real life. They used real people to do yeah. this because they wanted it to be authentic. Later on, he was convicted of murder. He was dubbed the trash bag killer by New York City tabloids. He confessed to multiple murders, and he said that he didn't remember committing them. He was released from prison in 2004 because of his confessions. And I wonder where he's at these days. I'll tell you where he's at. He's a stagehand for big Hollywood. <laughs> You need realistic, painful experiences on set? Let me get you old TB. We call him TB. TB. So when the film was released in theaters to sold out crowds, the papers and press hyped it up and claimed it was so scary that moviegoers were passing out and becoming ill. They were having to park ambulances outside the theaters. That sounds like hype. One woman passed out and broke her jaw and ended up suing the company. I'm sure it was just publicity, you know, for a movie meant to scare people. You sure that the movie didn't just, you know, like hire some goons to go out and be Probably like, did. make sure she's scared. <laughs> and then they just break her jaw and they tell her to say that she broke her jaw because yeah. she's scared, but not why she was scared. Yeah. Or you'll have something to be scared about. They warned that pregnant women and those with weak constitutions shouldn't view the movie. It tells you how old this is. Yeah. They use the word constitutions. Later, it was revealed that all these PR stunts were just that, you know, stunts. And it worked because the movie was wildly successful. The, the company, Warner Brothers, I think it was, didn't think it was going to do anything. But it was a huge success. Well, let me ask you this. How is your constitution? <laughs> it's pretty good. All right. You feel like it's substantial enough to watch this movie? I think so. But I still haven't seen it all. I've seen pieces of it. I haven't seen any of it. People were so disturbed by Linda Blair's performance that she received death threats and had to have bodyguards. Because they thought the she was the devil? Yes. Wow. Yeah. She must have done a real... Well, of course she did a good performance. She was literally being torn apart. Yeah, she did a good job. She says that the movie did not affect her negatively other than the broken spine. So, not a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's a thing. So, what do you think? You think it's cursed or not? I think this one probably is cursed, but I also think it's in conjunction with Big, with Hollywood. big Hollywood. You know, Big Hollywood's probably got some arcane arts. Yeah. And they just reached into the HR department. And they're like, <laughs> um, we need a little bit of extra ammunition on this one. And so, they summoned Satan to come and help them out. Another classic horror film that is said to be cursed is the 1976 film, The Omen. Before filming, a religious advisor warned that broaching this subject matter, which is a child who is the Antichrist, would invite the devil and a curse. The movie was to be filmed in England and starred Gregory Peck from To Kill a Mockingbird. I didn't know that. He was the dad. And before filming, Gregory Peck's son committed suicide. That's unfortunate. Then the plane that Peck was traveling on to location in England was struck by lightning. Not completely unusual, honestly. It gets weirder. He had actually been scheduled to go on another flight, but he canceled. And uh, that plane ended up crashing. A flock of birds flew into the engine and it crashed at the end of the runway. And it actually hit a car that was carrying the pilot's wife and two children. And they were also killed. Okay, this one... More so than anything so far, sounds like it might literally be a curse. Yeah, I think it might. David Seltzer, who was a writer on the movie, was traveling to England when his plane was also struck by lightning. This is two days later. Okay, I, I know that planes get struck by lightning relatively often. Yeah. Not super weird, but still, it seems to be a pattern. Yeah. So, the IRA was pretty big in, at the time in England, and they set off two bombs one in the hotel where the cast was staying, and another in the restaurant where they were dining. That could be part of Big Hollywood, though. <laughs> so while they were filming on location at Windsor Safari Park, the car driven by actress Lee Rimmick, who played the mom, stalled, and the car was attacked by baboons. You can see the true terror on the face of the actress and the young boy as they're trapped in the car. I watched the scene today. It is scary. So baboons are crazy. So they literally just like, oh, no, 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 hold keep on. Filming. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, just keep filming. Keep filming. We're, we're going to get them. We'll get them. We'll get them. Quick, toss mask bestos jackets <laughs> over there. I've heard it's real good with baboon attacks. Yeah. So you should watch the scene. It's pretty bad. Also, an animal handler at the park was attacked and killed by a big cat during filming. He accidentally left his cabin door open or something. Also, and, the big cat came and got yeah. him. It wasn't a matter of maybe he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, it was a tiger, I believe. So to me, it's starting to sound cursed. I can see why you saved this one for near the end. Yeah. After filming wrap, the special effects director, John Richardson, was in a car accident. 
His fiance was decapitated, which mimicked one of his special effects of a death in the film. If you, I watched this today and it's pretty gruesome. It's a man and he turns around and this big pane of glass comes sliding and just chops his head right off. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty. Maybe I don't want to watch this movie. The accident is said to have happened near a road sign that read Omen, O-M-M-E-N, which is a nearby Dutch town, which was 66.6 kilometers away. Okay, now I'm going to have to say I don't think that that can possibly be true. They have a sign, a picture of the sign. If that is true, then this does transcend Big Hollywood. They must have unleashed something <laughs> they could not contain with asbestos. Yeah. And it's it's too late, ladies and gentlemen. We're doomed. So the director of the film said he received many threatening and disturbing letters. One of these said that his blood will run in the streets for making this movie, but he's still alive. So what do you think? Curse or coincidence? It's definitely. OK, let me sum it all up for you. I think that the reason the movie is cursed is because of Big Hollywood. So I say it's both a conspiracy theory, which transitioned into a serial killer, which transitioned into a full-blown cursed movie, which has unleashed evil into this world that no asbestos of any <laughs> level can contain. So I'm going to go with yes. Okay. It's cursed. Yes, it's cursed. I think of all the ones we talked about, this one is the most likely. I can if, if, if what you thing. said is verified and true, then I would be. Yeah, this is too much stuff to be pure coincidence. Mm. So thank you for your hard work for putting together this lovely script that has both enlightened and enriched my life in it's ways. It's not over yet. Uh -oh. Well, you know what that means. It's time for insert graphic here. What, what we're, we're watching. watching. In keeping with our theme of cursed movies, this week we decided to watch the classic 1968 film. Rosemary's Baby. We had never seen this one, and I was actually pleasantly surprised. I expected it to be graphically violent, like the horror, like exorcist horror kind of level. Yeah. But it was more psychological. It was purely psychological, though, yeah, really. I mean, it had a little bit of stuff in it. Yeah. The movie came out at a time in history when the U.S. was going through major changes. There was political unrest with the recent assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy. Anton LaVey had founded the Church of Satan in 1966, and the moon landing was still a year away. I even mentioned that when we were watching the yeah. movie. I was like, you know, it's weird to look at this movie and, and think about that the that. moon landing had not happened yet. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other conspiracy we're not going to touch on yet. So director Roman Polanski took on the task of bringing this monumental film to life. It follows a couple who moved to New York and into a new apartment building where all their neighbors are Satanists. They want her to have a devil child, and they kind of trick her into it. I won't tell you the whole story, because you should probably watch it for yourself. But after filming this movie, bad things begin happening to the cast and crew. Uh-oh. Christoph Kamita, who was the composer of the film, he wrote that... Uh, that crazy Rosemary Pink Lullaby. Floyd sounding... He yeah. wrote the whole soundtrack? Yeah. Oh, the Rosemary Lullaby was creepy. Yeah, that's like really recognizable in the horror world. Yeah. He wrote that... In December of 1968, he was drinking with Roman Polanski and another man, and somehow he hit his head and developed a hematoma that put him in a coma for three months, and then he died. A similar circumstance happened in the movie. I was about to say that exact thing yeah. happened in the and movie. It was three months, and that was weird, right? That seems pretty coincidental. Producer William Castle was hospitalized with kidney stones so severe that he had to have surgery. During this time, he was in so much pain, he was hallucinating. He was seeing scenes from the movie, and he even claimed to see the devil's reflection in a scalpel. Okay. Scary, yeah. but not yet fully curse-worthy. So one of the actresses named Victoria Vetri, remember the lady who was the neighbor who jumped out of the window, the, killed the herself? The woman in the laundry room. Right. Well, she went on to... Be friends with Sharon Tate, who is Roman Polanski's wife. Yeah. And she was invited to uh, their house the night of the murders of Sharon Tate. The Charles Manson deal. Right. But she declined. And after this, she became increasingly paranoid. She became reclusive and bought a gun for protection. She eventually used that gun in an attempted murder of her husband of 25 years, for which she spent nine years in jail. 
she's actually out now and I saw on a documentary thing today and she's just like so spaced out like she doesn't remember lots of things and like she's got this guy sitting beside her and she t- they talk about being in jail and she's like yeah I don't remember what I went to jail for like yeah she's kind of she's got to be pretty old at this point she is but I think it's just a lot of mental stress or something has happened to her brain probably combined with all the stuff they were doing during the times of this movie yeah so the biggest uh, evidence of this curse is that of Roman Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate, and her unborn baby being mar- being murdered by the Manson family in 1969. That's pretty awful. Along with some of her friends, there were four others that were murdered that night. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's like this whole big connection between the Beatles and Charles Manson and Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. So an, another connection is that John Lennon was assassinated outside the building where this movie is filmed. It's a pretty iconic looking building. Yeah. You see so, it at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. When the and, camera's flying and over. it's the exact spot where the girl jumps out of the window and is dead on the ground. That's where he was shot. That exact spot. Yeah. So it's really weird if you watch the movie and see the spot. That's where John Lennon was shot. Did you know that when we were watching the movie? I didn't know that. And then, so what happened was the guy that shot him was standing outside the building and he was debating in his head. Like he had gotten John Lennon's autograph six hours earlier that day. Yeah. And he was debating on whether to shoot him or not for whatever reason. And he was asking for a sign. And then he saw Mia Farrow walk by, who was the lady who played Rosemary and Rosemary's baby. And... He took that as a sign from the devil that he should shoot John Lennon. So he did. Well, you can't argue with Mia Farrow, I guess. I don't know. So it's like this whole big thing because like Mia Farrow was friends with the Beatles and her and her sister went like on tour, not on tour, but like out with them. And like some of the White Album was written about her and her sister. Yeah. And so somehow this all tied into... Charles Manson heard it and then like Rosemary's Baby. So he like latched on to Roman Polanski and his Sharon Tate. And I don't know, like it was a whole, whole weird thing. Almost conspiracy like, Because she was pregnant with a baby and like she begged them to save her baby, to yeah. take the baby, but they wouldn't like they were, it was a whole thing. Wow. That's truly horrible. Yeah. So it was just, so do you think this is cursed? Yes. Yeah. This may be. Yeah, it may be. So, all that being said, (laughs) tell me what you thought about the movie. I actually enjoyed this movie. It was two hours and 17 minutes, and I didn't even mind it. It, You know, normally. When I saw that, I'm like, the only reason she's watching this movie is because we committed to watching one of the cursed movies. Mm -hmm. And this one got the best reviews, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to watch something we hadn't seen before, something they say is classic. And I can see why it's classic. Yeah, it was, I also thought that we were coming into this movie and it was going to be some graphic, well, the 68, so I was like, how graphic could it be? But it turns out, it is a psychological movie, Mm -hmm. and we're not going to spoil the ending for you, but I said the way I thought it should have ended, and it's not how it ended, but I'm like, I think that might have been more effective if they Mm -hmm. did it the way I was thinking, which... Yeah, but the way they ended it did come down to, like, you know, she had to just make a choice. Yeah. And so... I guess it was all about a choice the whole time. Yeah. So she ended up making the only choice she could make. Yeah. But what is that choice? Find out. You'll have to watch the movie to find out. Yeah, so, so I would give it probably 10 out of 12, despite the two-hour runtime. I didn't get bored, didn't fall asleep, and, like, they kept it really interesting I really enjoyed the neighbors. They were really yeah. funny. They were well done. The old done. lady, especially. Yeah, they were. It was really well done, and I love the like seeing the fashion and the style. I love the '60s. So. Yeah, and it was all legit stuff. It wasn't yeah. set pieces like in Mad Men. Yeah. This just was, it was the, the style time. at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would recommend Rosemary's Baby. Okay, so I was pleasantly surprised by this movie myself. I wasn't expecting much coming in because. Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of horror movies just because they're horror movies. I don't care anything about seeing slasher movies. That's just not my cup of tea. That's not what I'm about. But the psychological type movies I find far more frightening. And even though this movie isn't really scary, it feels more like a mystery to me than a horror movie. But it, but it is a horror movie. And I enjoyed it. So I'm going to give this movie a... Nine out of 12 dog treats. 
And I don't care about run times of movies because I'll watch long movies, but this movie did not feel like it was as long as it was. It felt like it was very well paced and they pretty much stayed on topic throughout Mm -hmm. the movie. There there are a handful of scenes where you're like, what is going on here? They must have been on acid when they wrote (laughs) or filmed this. And it was 1968. So they they probably probably were. were. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. It had good acting, mm-hmm. had great scenery. The music overall was really psychedelic, but they kept ramping up the tension in this movie and the music does a good job of helping with that. Mm-hmm. It's a very 60s synthesizer, acid rock sounding mm-hmm. stuff. So it sounds like old Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett. Mm-hmm. And I love Pink Floyd, so I was a fan of the soundtrack, except for the theme of it, which I found creepy. Well, it's supposed to be it's Rosemary's Baby. Well, it worked out then. Yeah, they did a good job. So that's going to bring us to the part of the show that we like to call Layla Layla and and Coffee Coffee Talk. Talk. So, Crystal, this has been an eventful week for these dogs. It has been such an eventful week. You know, we have Mother's Day, so all the kids were here. So they were like bombarded with people, which they love. They They even got gifts for Mother's Day, even though they're not mothers. And they shared it with you. They did. They were so sweet. So then... We discovered that they love to play bubbles. It is the greatest game in the history of games. So, of course, like good parents, we went out to Target and bought them their own bubble set with a yeah. giant bubble wand wand, and a big thing. Five gallons. Five gallons of bubbles. And then like we blow bubbles in the backyard and they chase them and run around. It's yeah. great fun for all. And then I was cleaning because the kids were coming over. So I decided to empty out the hot tub to get it ready for the for the season. And our hot tub is on the second deck upstairs, like you know. And so to get the water out, it has to go um, downstairs into the ground. To where the dirt is. Yeah, so there's one little area of our yard that is dirt. And the water... All they need is one. ...turned it into a giant mud puddle. And Coffee loves nothing more than a mud puddle. It is her favorite thing. So as I'm in the hot tub draining it, she's standing on the stairs to the hot tub watching me and she sees the water going out. So she immediately runs off and I'm like, well, she can't get out because I closed your office door. But I forgot that I left the kitchen door open. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so she's gone. She didn't. Yeah, she knew. So uh, she's gone for a little while. And then I go downstairs and look at our bed, and it is completely black. It is not even a small amount of mud. It's like she brought all of the mud. She wallowed all over our bed, and then she tracked it all through the, the whole house, up the stairs, through the kitchen, through the living room. Every square inch of the house had Everywhere. mud on it in some so way. I had to mop the entire house. We had to wash all our bedding, and it's like midnight at this point. So yeah. we're having to change the bedding, mop the floors, give her a shower, I'm dragging Which her into the shower. She still. loves water. I know. For a dog that claims to love water, she was not having that shower. She started to cry like she does when she hears the Liberty Mutual song. Yeah, she is quite fond of not hearing that yes, song. Yes, yes. So they, it's been a hectic week. It's like having two toddlers. We again. should have taken pictures. I did take some pictures. You did? I took pictures of the paw prints all over the floor. All right. Well, we'll try to post those and pictures for you right now. I tried to take right a picture while we were in the shower, but she almost made me uh, drop my phone into the into the floor. So then it could have been a whole cursed kind of film. <laughs> yeah. You made your own cursed film with the dog. Yeah. So that didn't work out. But I do have pictures of her little paw prints. Well, hopefully we've put them on the screen. And if we haven't, maybe we are right now. I don't know. So hopefully they'll be better this week. So that'll bring us to the end of the episode. As we mentioned earlier, we have a merchandise giveaway. Go to our website and click on the giveaway tab. You'll have easy instructions on how to enter that. We ask that you please do it because we would love to give some stuff away. And uh, this we got really good options. You got coffee mugs and either the original Scary Savannah and Beyond <laughs> or... or Or the Layla and Coffee Talk mug. You got shirts uh, in your choice of size and color. You'll get a shirt. That's one of the options. Please go enter that. You can find us on all social media platforms looking for the user at Scary Savannah. You can find our website at www.scarysavannahandbeyond.com. We mentioned earlier on Patreon, we have exclusive episodes. We're releasing one a week. You go to patreon.com forward slash scary savannah 
for as little as three dollars a month you can help support our podcast which we would greatly appreciate and in turn you can get some exclusive patreon only episodes which would be audio and video options you also can get merchandise through patreon if you do certain tier levels so we encourage you to go do that and another thing as you know crystal is in desperate need of caffeination yeah i'm even drinking iced coffee tonight because it's so hot in here it is rather hot (laughs) so please go and buy crystal coffee and you can do this if you look down the bottom left hand corner of your screen you'll see a little icon just like that if you click on that you can buy our coffee and we would greatly appreciate it if you'd uh, help us keep this podcast flowing by copious amounts of caffeine (laughs) because how else are we going to stay awake at midnight when we typically record these episodes hey we made it pretty early tonight we're doing pretty good if you'd like to give us a call and leave us a voicemail there is a little icon on the bottom right hand corner of your screen you can click on that from your phone or your computer and leave us a message which we can play on the air if you like or if you just want to tell us something or give us a story idea we could do that or you can give us an actual phone call at 912-406-2899 that's 912-406-2899. Goes right to voicemail. Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we would encourage you to ask us anything. There's a tab on our website. We want questions so that we can give you answers. And they don't have to be related necessarily to any episodes. But if you do have any questions at all about anything. A good question would be, how many hats does Brett have? That is a valid question, and if you notice, you've seen quite a few on this show, and that doesn't even cover one rack. He has racks and racks of them. I have multiple racks. (laughs) Don't worry, that didn't sound good. And don't forget, we have a merchandise store. You can click on that on our website, and we've got cool things like the coffee mugs, shirts, hats, backpacks, all that good stuff. Do you have shoelaces? I need some shoelaces. We should get some shoelaces, I think. So I believe that only leaves the one last thing. Join us next time in Savannah, where the ghosts and the good times live on. But do you know who don't? A lot of these people involved in Big Hollywood. Turns out Big Hollywood's a serial killer. It is. Who knew? All right, baby, I gotta go get the asbestos jacket. Let's go. (laughs) 